Some of you may think that it is actually 10 to 11, maybe. <laughs> All right, I don't know that any of you got fooled by that time change. But, uh, I would encourage you to, in the bulletins, there is this insert which uh, indicates uh, this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church and light up the darkness and voice of martyrs, the voice of martyrs, they help us a lot in keeping up. We have to get out of our bubble and we're all bubble-like. Uh, I think maybe one of those reasons is, you know, there's a lot of drama that's going on and some of it not really enjoyable and we shouldn't just run to some, some uh, place where we're, what, what do they call it now for the, the, the safe place. <laughs> the safe place is next with the Lord and in his word and living by faith. That's it. More about that as we proceed this morning. So if you're going to need your Bibles this morning, I'm going to do the scripture reading. I'm going to read it in, in a moment. We're going to pray. And we're going to, I'm going to read from Genesis 12, I'm going to read from Genesis 15, I'm going to read from Genesis 17, I'm going to read from Genesis 22, I'm going to read from Genesis 1. And that sounds like a lot, but these are selected portions of those chapters, and these places that what we will read are vital to what we're going to be doing this morning. And this is... We're not going through a book study at this moment. We're beginning to go through a series. Yes, it's topical. There is a place for that. And you know the key to it. The key to topical preaching is make sure that you're honoring the text that you are referring to and speaking of and that the truth comes up out of those. So that's not an apology. It's just an explanation for some say, well, why aren't we going through... Uh, Ruth or Philemon or something. Those are all scripture is God-breathed and profitable, that's for sure. But we're going to, I'll explain in a moment what we're about to do. Let's pray again. Let's pray. Oh, Father God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we come to you, Lord. We are people, we confess our fears, our worries, our unsettledness, and in some cases, confusion. And then there are those personal battles that we're fighting. Some of us are, some of us, uh, some of those we're winning, some of those we're not doing so well with some temptations. And we, so we look to you, Lord, that you will now, as you bring us into the sanctuary of your word, your truth, Settle us down, get our minds in focus upon you, your all-sufficiency and the all-sufficiency of your word, and give us uh, cleared minds and maybe cleared up minds, Lord, how easy it is to be confused in this world that's shouting so many lies, so many lies. So we do ask that you will work through your word. I want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are undergoing great stress and strain and persecution and hatred and vilification. I think of the two brothers who are pastoring that little church in Bethlehem in Israel. There's Arab Christians, Lord, who 
are in a very, very hard place. And Lord, with Islam surrounding them, and there is so much, there is this increased uh, animosity and suspicion and anger between Arabs and Jews and uh, Father, oh, give your people and those two brothers and that little assembly there, that little flock, that uh, you will give them courage and wisdom and protect them. We ask that. And for other, the other Arab believers scattered through the, well, the West Bank and, and, and other places in the Islamic world. And, and Father, I would not want to forget those who are converted who are born-again Muslims, who've come out of Islam, and, Lord, they're in hard places. I think of Iran. I, what I understand, Lord, there are many little groups and house churches, believers there, and just infuse them with fresh waves of joy in you and your sovereignty, your rule, and give them courage and boldness and witnessing. Now, Lord, as we open up your word, Open our eyes, that we'll see clearly. Pray that we'll not let our minds wander off too far. So we'll trust your Holy Spirit to keep us corralled and be hearers and doers of your word. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I will say again, just briefly, uh, announcements. We want to tuck those in to the end of the service. But a couple of things I think bear repeating is that... Uh, we are beginning a series today on Israel and prophecy. This is going to go through, not sure how many Sundays, but uh, there are some really important uh, areas of truth in the scriptures that we need to consider. Uh, and we need to look at those, and they will be of immense help to you and anyone you want to recommend this series to, uh, that we will be examining the scriptures, truth, what God says about Israel and how that impacts our world and impacts us personally. So we're not just looking into some crystal ball of the future. We're looking at those things in our day-to-day -day lives that are important. And then the second thing, um, I've not been paid to give this sponsor's announcement, but there is a very important issue that's going to be dealt with in the Sunday school, adult Sunday school for two Sundays. Would you make a little extra effort to hang around and um, it will be helpful to you. All right. You're in Genesis? Okay, you be there. We're going there, so just be ready. Be ready. I'll tell you when I'm going to pull the trigger, and you just uh, be there. Anti-Semitic vandalism rocks capital as thousands of protesters descend on D.C., Pentagon suspends the Department of Defense support for congressional travel to Israel. And Obama, former President Obama, calls for an end of quote-unquote occupation, security for Israel, a state for Palestinians. Oh, I'm only just scratching the surface on headlines that I could give you that, well, they'll take us places where we need to go biblically. But here we are. Who is Israel? 
Who are they? Do you have any friends who are Jews? You ever known any? Well, let's think, let's think uh, the big picture. The big picture for a while. To whom does this term Israel refer? Oh, you say, well, Israel's Israel. Well, I'm... I have to report to you that everyone in the body of Christ is not equal, uh, equally convinced on that. Um, is Israel the church? Are we the new Israel? That's fashionable in some. I have, I have study Bibles and books, and I've, I know that I, I hear that, that we're the new Israel. Well, and associated with that is what is called replacement theology. You familiar with that term? There are those who just kind of bristle at that. No, we don't believe in replacement theology. We, well, something like that. Sometimes sounds like that. But and I'm not going to linger on that point, but I just want to let you know that there are issues that need to be addressed in this process. That kind of language, actually, that we're the new Israel, the church new Israel, it comes up early in the church age in 155 A.D. when one of the uh, church theologians, pastors Justin Martyr in his debate with a Jewish uh, man by the name of Trifo. Uh, it comes up again and, you know, the issues surrounding this come up in AD 70 when Jerusalem is destroyed and millions of believers and Jews are killed, slaughtered by the Romans. And then in AD 35, things get hot, really hot again in the land of Israel and around Jerusalem. There was a, there was a would-be messianic figure, Bar Kochva, who rallied a following and wanted to overthrow the Romans. And the Romans said, we have had it. This is it. Level the city. Destroy the temple. Everything. And the Jews scattered out most, not all, from Jerusalem, from the land. And I'll stop it at that point because we're going to be dealing with some of these matters a little later on in history. You know, there's actually so much to be said in this subject of Israel and prophecy. Well, actually, history and the Bible really converge on this. If you're rusty on your history, especially your history of the Middle East and why Israel is there as a nation and how did these present circumstances come about, well, I hope to help some on that, but you can consider this a challenge for you to get yourself a little more uh, up to speed on that. Well, how then and when did the modern nation of Israel come into existence? Well, in 1948, I was a little too young to understand and, create and fathom all that was, that was going on, but I did pick up some things, but that's not the point here. The point is, is that uh, what we're in the middle of now is a massive uh, vocabulary, a dust storm. I can't think of many times where words have been thrown around with uh, dogmatism that probably so many have so little knowledge of, even in the media, the media, and perhaps Christians as well. What does this word mean? What's this word? Decolonization. What is that? To be colonized, as our former president said. Uh, Undoing of colonialism. What, uh, how does that factor into all this? Have we missed something hugely important in the flow of history since 1948 and earlier? I can only comment on the, this new Israel situation briefly. I've read, I'm reading 
can't get enough of it done, but, you know, we could, we could fly over Israel in the Old Testament, and we go through, we're going to be there partly. So the story begins in Genesis 12 with Abraham, and then we fly over a lot, a lot of important matters in the development of God's plan. Down to, the, this is really a fast one, we're kind of in F-15 on this one, that uh, we go from Abraham all the way down to 63 B.C. when the Romans marched into Jerusalem and, and the land and Romans stuck their flag in the ground and took over big time. And Pompey, the Roman general, established Roman control. That opens up a big story. Then, flying on forward from there, we have the history of Israel since Christ. And I've just touched on that a little bit. From 80, 70 to 135. And Jews who lived in the land during those years. Israel was never, complete, never completely evacuated. The land that was, had been given to Abraham and to which Israel returned in mass after the Babylonian captivity. Uh, so... That's to be considered. But in 1871, the land returning, the returning of many Jews to Israel, what became the nation of Israel again, that in 1871, the first Zionist, well, this was actually in 1897, I wanted to mention uh, Theodore Hertz. And in 1897, there was this Zionist Congress. Now, you hear the word Zion. Um, we sing about it, and we, it's kind of it's Christian lore. What is it? It's one of the hills on which Jerusalem is built. I've been up and down and around and in and on, on Zion, cross over, it's across from the Mount of Olives. Well, it's become sort of a word, a word to encapsulate or to just cover the, the land, the land of promise. So there begin, as early as actually before this, it's fascinating to read back. You can even read uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon and others back in the early 1800s who were talking about the necessity of Israel coming back to their land. And then, well, the Zionist movement began. World War I came along, and after that, the Balfour Declaration, November the 2nd, 1917. And then we sweep on into the World War II in 1939. At that point, there were 400,000 Jews in the land. And then the establishment of the new state of Israel, May the 14th, 1948. There's a movie. I'm not saying you go to the movie if your, your conscience may not allow you to, but a movie called, in the book, by Leon Uris, uh, The Exodus. That's what that movie is about, about that uh, Initial declaration of the state, the nation of Israel. Well, we have not, I have time to go into all that anymore, but I need to say something about what is Israel's place in the plan of God. One of the questions that's been presented to you. When you go through the Bible, what is the big story? How do you put it all together? Well, you've you got to start here. I'll give you some basic building blocks. There is the re the redemption kingdom plan of God. Yes, God is establishing his rule, which was forfeited by Adam and Eve in the garden. And you can track it on through the Old Testament and its 
and its anticipation of the kingdom to come. Huge subject in the Bible. The greatness of the kingdom. But that cannot come about without the redemptive work of Christ, bringing Christ's own people together in him through the new birth. That's uh, all the, the truth of messianic prophecies. We've done that around, often around Christmas time. I've always loved to just take messianic prophecies and see how they develop and unfold through the Old Testament. But you know, you have programs that God has ordained that are taking place. You can't have a complete picture about the ultimate glory of God. That's where it all is moving in this redemption kingdom plan. You have other things like the program of God for the angels, the program of God for Gentiles, the program of God for the church, the program of God for Israel. So these, fact, these truths all come and converge toward the end, at the end, bringing the greatest glory to the Lord God forever, forever, and forever. So we have now before us, we're getting a little more close to this, uh, we're drawing close to the Abrahamic covenant. I need to say something about the word covenant. Hold that a second that what we have revealed in the Bible, we have a series of historical covenants. You know them. As uh, one that you immediately come into contact with is the Noahic covenant. Then, ah, oh, the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to go there. And then the Palestinian covenant next week. And we're not going to do the Mosaic covenant, important as it is. But then we're going to go to the Davidic covenant, Lord willing, next week. And then the new covenant. So these covenants help us to move through the storyline of this redemption kingdom plan of God to his ultimate glory. And we'll consider these as we go forward. Now let me just say a couple of things about the word covenant so that uh, I hope this will provide some clarity for us here. A covenant, uh, let me say just couple of things about it. One, a covenant, it's an agreement that's drawn up in the context of the Bible. I'm not talking about community covenants and that kind of thing. It's an agreement drawn up by God and imposed upon man for man's benefit and blessing. It's an arrangement initiated by God with his creatures. And the means by which the story of the Bible is really organized around covenant. Now, there is some debate on that, but you can see that covenant becomes a very important part of this flow of truth. Actually, you could put it this way, that the biblical covenants are like the edge pieces of a giant puzzle. You like puzzles? I started to ring a box with puzzles, and I thought, they know, they know what puzzles look like, but you work one, just, oh, take a, take a 5,000 one piece puzzle. I don't know about you, but when we've ever engaged in puzzle work, I kind of like to get the edge pieces. <laughs> All right, let's, can we work in the middle, toward the middle? And I would submit to you that these biblical covenants are like the edge pieces of a giant puzzle. Now, there are two kinds of covenants, and we don't have time to drill deeply on this, but there are two of these two kinds. There is what is known as it's a bilateral agreement where equals enter into covenant. That's not where the Bible is on covenants. I mean, you know about that covenant. You got one, your mortgage payment, <laughs> your, 
You, you have an arrangement with the bank or the lender, and so it goes. You may even have a community governor. We all agree, hey, you're not going to have 20 dogs and 10 cars in your, in your yard. And Okay, you have those kinds of covenants. But no, the Bible focuses on what we would call a unilateral covenant. And these are those which, kind of like a last will and testament, there needs to be the death of a testator, one who dies to make it good, and that gets us into the biblical covenants. Now, let's do this. Now you're ready for the scripture reading, are you? All right. You didn't go to sleep, did you? Oh, that hour. I don't know. What's that, what's that hour like that you go back? I can't figure it out. Uh, I can tell you how old folks handle it, but that's another story. All right. All right. Let's uh, take your Bibles and turn with me in the Old Testament. And let's go to Genesis in chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from the old American Standard Version. It's a little different. But it's a, it's this uh, Bible that I have in front of me is a little like an old glove. Uh, if I, you know, like that, if you ask me where a verse is and it's a Bible that I am not familiar with, I'm, I, I get confused. So I'm not confused now. I'm looking at what I want to look at. So Genesis 12. Are you there? 12? Now, if you let your eyes roll up on before we get into 12, you're going to notice some, some, there are no wasted words in Scripture. All scripture is God breathed. The Spirit directed Moses, the writers of the Pentateuch. We're told a couple of things. We're told something about Abram. We're told about Sarah, their names. Well, we would understand what their names mean, father and princess. And then we get into this geographic. Well, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Whoa, that's important. So, Pick up on that. That's a clue the Spirit of God's giving you as to what's coming. And then we move on down in the far, and they move from, they go from the Ur of Chaldees, which is down way down near the Persian Gulf, all the way up to Haran. And there, there they live. And then from there, Abram goes on down to Canaan. That's quite a journey. You read in the Bible and you can read it in a few seconds, but I can tell you it probably took months, if not years. For to traverse that, traverse that territory. And then in the days of Terah, there were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, that's the setup. Here we go. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, so you, will, you shall be a blessing. And in blessing others, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Before I read anything else, let me read this. I, this, I, I got this. It was a, it's a source. It's a source. I didn't... It, bring this up, put this together and stuff. But I thought it was really helpful here. And it, it goes, starts out this way in, re, in responding to what I just read. A story, this story of Abram here, a story in which God will reveal his freedom in being merciful to Israel, his holiness in judging them, his faithfulness in restoring them, and his absolute sovereignty over human history. Abram's story begins with his departure from a city of man, Ur, in search of the city 
whose designer and builder is God. Ultimately, that's Hebrews 11 and 10. Abram's journey, uh, here's my own feeble thinking on it. Abram's journey will take him through 175 years. How'd you like to live 175 years? Present circumstances, I don't know. <laughs> but 175 years. Then, to the resurrection, Abram's resurrection, Abram's resurrection one day, and enjoyment of the promised land one day. That's what Abram died with, folks. Abram didn't die with, oh, I'm looking forward to when the church becomes, the church of which I'm a part will become a reality. Let's be fair. Now, you may want to change things, and things get changed by some, but he looked forward to that promised land that he would enjoy, which was promised. All right, that said, and Abram, I mustn't leave this out, redeemed, redeemed by Christ's presence in the kingdom, and then on to the eternal kingdom. That's a flower of things to come. Now, you still with me in Genesis? Let's go over to 15. Let's go to 15. I can only read portion of this. Uh, it's very, the whole chapter is a, obviously of huge import because you get a ratification. You get a ratification of the kingdom, or excuse me, of the, the covenant here, which anticipates the kingdom. After the, I'm um, 15.1, after these things, the word of the Lord, I have to say, after these things is in the shadows of what happened in chapter 14. Abram had to take, he had to take his own Delta Force people, his ranger group, the 82nd Airborne. <laughs> he had to take them out on a mission to rescue his nephew and so forth. It was a harrowing experience and a danger. And all right, after these things, the word of the Lord, you need a word from the Lord after that, came to Abram in a vision saying, and guess what he told him? Do not fear, Abram. So Abram still got on the bottom shelf of his memory what God had already told him with regard to the future, and he was going to bless him, what we read in 12. Now, I will, I'm going to scurry on over to the end of the chapter. There's a lot in there, but we have to go here. And in doing this, in rehearsing this, God is going to give Abram a vision, and it's really a knockout. It says, and on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram reinforcing, embellishing, advancing, completing out what he had already said in Genesis 12. To your descendants I have given you this land from the river of Egypt. Now there's some discussion on that, as we'll see. Um, we're looking at those maps yet, Rob. I, I had some really good help this week on getting, uh, getting some maps from my friends. And... We get that picture of, aha, thank you. We've got about three of these. So if you can multitask here, look, here, read. All right, here we are. And so he said, your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt. That may be the Nile. Some it's El Arish, which is a wadi like down up closer to the Gazan border. It's between the Nile and the southern part of Israel. But it's from there, from the, to the, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And this is where the Kenanite, the Kenanite, Kenazite, uh, the Kadmonite, Hittite, Perizzite, Raphraim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Gershite, Gershite, and the Jebusite. 
You know, I've always been interested, I, interested in the fact those who want to begin to change some of the language in the Bible with regard to the promised land and want to make it something other than the promised land and Israel, they want to make Israel into the church. What do they do with these other nations in the Bible like Moab and Edom and Ammon? Do they, is there a spiritualized version of those names? Okay, I'm just, I'm poking a little bit there. I must be nice. All right. So now will you go over with me to chapter uh, 17 and let's look at 17 and beginning at verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord Almighty. I am God, El Shaddai. Walk before me, be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, father of nations. And for I know I, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. All right, now let's run quickly, run quickly over to chapter 21, and I'm just going to go to verse 12. I'm going to skip the 22nd, but that, that's an important one. That's Abraham, Abraham takes Isaac up for what he thinks is going to be a sacrifice, but it's the, the faith of Abraham there is just extraordinary, and the Spirit of God calls attention to it. But I want you to look in chapter 21 of Genesis, and I want you to see verse 12. But the Lord, God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, Isaac, Yitzhak, Ah, the election of Isaac, and your descendants shall be named. Oh, there is a lot more that could be uh, excavated there, but let's, let's get with this. What do we have before us in this Abrahamic covenant? The very first thing that we need to pay attention to is exactly what's promised. This is uh, hugely important. What is promised here? Well, the promised is the promises the just to underscore the importance of it, it's the rest of human history and prophetic history. It, all, it rotates around this axis of the nation of Israel, which just occupies that little narrow strip of land in the Middle East. We're often told on the news, no bigger than in the state of New Jersey, but if you've never been through New Jersey, you may not appreciate that. Uh, it's just not that big. So much happens on that small stage in many ways. Keep your eye on Israel. Well, there were promises that go off in three directions. I'll, I want to be thorough here, but I have to be thorough and brief at the same time. Let's see. Let's work at it. There are promises to Abraham. Yes, to him personally. Personal ones. To make Abraham a blessing to others. To make his name great. Oh, and his, as it, think of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. You know who is 
hugely important in each of those. Abraham. So it became about. And in a, his possession of a particular land included to give him many physical descendants, to make a father of, of a multitude of nations. I'm reading these personal parts of the personal ones. I'm they're, they're, pulling them out, expanding it, to give him the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. Chapter 13, we didn't go there to read, but we did in 15 and 17, verse 8, we didn't read that. To bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Then we have promises, a second uh, uh, category of promises here bound up in all this would be promises to the nation of Israel, national promises. Make a great nation of Abraham's descendants to give the land of Canaan from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates to give the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham's descendants for an everlasting covenant. A covenant which is restated to Isaac. You, you track this when you read the Bible. You read through the Bible, you'll see this will come up periodically in your reading of the scriptures, this Abrahamic covenant. That stays in your rearview mirror when you read scripture carefully. A covenant's restated to Jacob, whom God renamed Israel. Thus the covenant passed through Abram's physical seed. And then we have promises to the people of the world, the universal. So it really expands out. To bless all the families of the earth through Abraham's physical line of descent. That all the nations are going to receive blessing through him. How's that going to come about? Well, if you know, in a pre and this morning, you know what we do in the communion table? We remember this. What? We remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and whose atoning sacrifice is the hope of the world. And it means that, therefore, Christ's saviorhood is for all who will come to him in faith and believing. All right. I expanded on that one. To bless those who bless Abraham's descendants and curse those who curse them. Uh, uh, insert here, got to be thought about a little bit. We, we probably get to, I know we'll get to this later on. But those who have treated the Jews favorably are promised here some favorable treatment in return. I've, I could demonstrate that to you if we wanted to walk through some history. Places where that happened, and then it, it, it unhappened. And, but to have been blessed with prosperity and freedom. I personally think, this is my opinion, I think one of the reasons that the United States of America, where we say God shed his grace on thee, and has given us a measure of prosperity, which has gone to the point of idolatry with many, that's the way the human heart functions, pushes God aside very quickly. But still, but still, do you know who the only real friend Israel has in the family of nations? And you know, the United States of America. And some of us are distressed now because it looks like that's turning with what's happening in recent events. That's very unsettling. That's not, you're not just looking at somebody who's, uh, they're, they're, they're petitioning McDonald's because they want their hamburgers not as, as expensive. Oh, this is huge. This is huge. And then the curse. Ah, Spain, Spain went into steep decline in eight, after 1492, the expulsion of Jews from Spain. You read this in history. Germany and Europe, what did 
the German nation do to the Jews? Oh, it's all catastrophic. The Holocaust, over seven million Jews killed, gas chambers, executions. But there was a price that Germany has had to pay for that. After the war, seven and a half million Germans were killed in the wars. And two million German women were raped, mostly by Cossacks, Russian soldiers, at the concluding days of World War II. There is a heavy price to pay when you turn your full wrath against Israel. Even an Israel that is not believing Israel, it's genetically, it's connected, it's a descent, it's Abraham's seed. All right. Now, I wanted to say something about the ratification of this covenant. All right, I read that in Genesis 15. We didn't go to the part where God told Abraham, I want you to take these animals, take them and cut them in half, and not you, you're not going to walk down the middle of them, but I'm going to go down the middle of them. You know what that was saying? You can count on this. This is like God signing on the dotted line. And... Abraham had to be an astonished spectator of this. Never expected to see anything like that. That God alone passes between the animal pieces because the covenant was unconditional. We're going to visit that. Unconditional. Stick that on the bottom shelf of your mind. And so God did so. I don't have time to go into the land its dimensions. We've got a few pictures that are flashing up here on slides. Uh, I can say this much before I forget it, move on too quickly past it. I can say that this land that is promised, you will notice, well, has Israel ever really come into all of this? And the answer is no. As close as it came to getting all of that from, if it's the Nile or the El Arish in the northeastern part of Egypt, all the way up to the Euphrates, you just get a map and look and see what you're talking about there. You're going beyond uh, just this, what they call the West Bank and a little sliver of land called Israel will be on Jordan, this nation of Jordan, up into, through Iraq, to where the Euphrates is. Oh, so much there. Now, here we are, folks. Uh, let, me, let me try to do this and package it up so that it can be uh, useful and help you get this. This is a unilateral agreement, the promises to Abraham. It is not conditional not conditional. There is a parting of ways here in the body of Christ. We have, uh, we have I friends. I mean, and I, and I don't want to come, I don't, I'm, they're not my enemies, but we do have a division here. We have those in the body of Christ who are known as amillennialist. Do you know what that word means? Ah, the alpha primitive. No, millennialist. I remember one man who's an amillennialist quite well, heard him often, he said, you didn't like that word. We do believe in a millennium. We're in it. This is it. We're in the kingdom right now. And the Satan is chained. And he's, and all that we believe is premillennialist will happen in the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. They say, no, that's not going to come to pass. We're in the kingdom. So we have this divergence of interpretation. And uh, all millennialists will say these were real promises, yes, to Abraham. But they say Israel failed. Yeah, well, can't argue with the failure part. And they failed to meet the conditions. So, but you know, when I read that, when I hear that, hmm, I start thinking. I think about 
How about that little deal that Abraham worked up with, was it down in Egypt? So, you know, Sarah, she was, talk about a knockout. She must have really been a knockout because Abraham said, listen, you tell them you're my sister and I'll tell them the same thing. That'll be cool. How about that for some real faith? Because <laughs> God promised him seed. They hadn't needed children at that point. And then we get into chapter 16 and we get into what I call, I preached on this once upon a time, on Abram's false start. Said he and Sarah, she said, well, I got an idea. Why don't you just take Hagar, our servant girl here, and you go and sleep with her and get her pregnant and we'll let the baby, that'll be the one that God promised. Not a good idea for many, many reasons. And then we go right along till we get to the place where Abraham gets in another tight corner in Gerar. This is in Genesis 20. And he goes back and he defaults to that old lie. Oh, remember, babe, you are one knockout. You're my sister, okay? And I'll tell him, didn't go too well, didn't go well at all. And so then how do we handle these kinds of things? But to say that the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional does not imply that there are no human contingencies. There will be. You don't fully, no Jew fully enters into the promises of Abraham and, and responding in unbelief to what God says. God took care of these contingencies to those exceptions, to those un, that unbelief. And he, he, he included that in his consideration made in the promises. This contingency of unbelief. And I've just rehearsed some of those in Abraham's life. And where Abraham was dramatically obedient, like taking Isaac to offer him up. What extraordinary faith. It's kind of like, it, it, looked, it reminds you of yourself sometimes, you know. And I've really been on top of things with God. And then, ooh, there have been times where I've really been a stinker. And, well, you can see it with Abraham. So here we have this. National disobedience even for Israel. Did things, did things go well? You don't read the prophets. I'm right almost to the end of Jeremiah. Am I ever going to get through with Jeremiah? It's just <laughs> what a condition Israel was in. And God says, I'm coming after you. Bend over and grab your ankles. And that, that perennial, that constant disobedience and going after idols and the women searching after the queen of heaven. Yeah. This kind of stuff. What were they thinking? Did God give up on them? No. You read the, late, you read the prophets, even after Israel's darkest days. You know what they're still holding on to? Hope, 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 hope. That day's coming. Read the book of Malachi. Read Zechariah. Read Haggai. Read these books. Read these prophets. There's still that hope that's being held out. Now, I can only brush by this, but, you know, really... You have to say this. Our friends are millennialists. They want to bring out these contingencies. Well, what about Jonah? God said to Jonah, you go up there. I'm going to wipe out this city. They're going to be, I'm going to nuke them. Nineveh. What happened? He didn't. Why? They believed. And so God's mercy, his wisdom. There are other examples like this. Eli's house is with his sons. And the, there is some limitation, the application of the Abrahamic covenant. And we have to remember that there is the spiritual factor that draws people into 
consider Ishmael, he became the father of the Arabs. That's a major, major issue that is before us today. Who are still fighting with Israel's, they're Israel's cousins, and they're still duking it out. I just want to leave it at this. I know there's more that can be said. I don't see anything that hints that the Abrahamic covenant is conditional. You've got, I'll tell you one thing you would have problems with. If you take that mindset that disobedience blows up your relationship with God, how do you handle the life of the believer and the believer who fails before God? Do you believe in eternal security? I do. I believe that there are the promises of Jesus Christ say, I'm secure in him. I'm not ashamed of that terminology. Some say, oh, it's a little embarrassing, eternal security. You've got to persevere to the end to prove that you're really a believer. And if you are, you persevere really well, that'll be proof. Well, there's a little element of truth there, but be careful where you take that. Who holds me? Do I hold myself? Is my ability to look within and examine myself and to see the fruit that is in my life and that which is manifest outwardly? Is that the basis of my assurance? Woe be to the person who tries to put their anchorage in one's own subjective reflections upon their own degree of commitment and faith. It's our hope is not in our faith, it's in Christ. In Christ, he holds us, he holds us. All right, well, that's it. I got a pedal, all right, let's go. Look at this, now, there is this question. Are the, are the, uh, are the promises literal? Well, you say, why are you asking that? What do you mean, literal? Well, um, what, what are we to take with these? Just go right to the chase, cut to the chase. What about these promises to the seed of Abraham? This is critical right here. I'm going to go through it quickly. The seed of Abraham, understanding that terminology is critical in answering the literal nature of the Abrahamic covenant. Particularly, are the land promises to Abraham, are they, are they canceled? Are they still in the future? Now, hold your horses. I'm not talking about Israel's right to whatever land it possess now. That's another story. I'll deal with that. Probably next week we'll deal with that. Namely, the whole matter of colonization and Israel being in the land in unbelief and then Israel being in the land in belief. And where are they now and so forth. We're coming to that. But let's come back to this. I just want to say something briefly, but I, I, I certainly is, I want to be as accurate as I can. When you read this terminology, seed of Abraham, they say, well, why are you dealing with that? That's such a fine point. You know, so much rides on fine points of truth. <laughs> so much does. And here's, a, here's an example, the seed of Abraham. Now, there are three ways this is used in the scriptures. Oh. You know, when you take the Bible and you interpret it historically, grammatically, and you take it in the words in their customary usage, and, and just as you do in ordinary communication in life, it's a literal, a literal interpretation that we apply. We don't even think about it. That's, it's called hermeneutics. How do we interpret? Well, when you look at the word, the seed of Abraham, you will find that their place, it's used in its natural sense, like seed, offspring. You've got offspring, I got offspring. Oh, do we ever have offspring this day? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> got a great grandchild. <laughs> Abraham lived on to see natural seed. That's one way it's used. And another way the seed of Abraham is used is used in this spirit, what I call spiritual slash natural seed. 
This would be like in the Romans passage where it says in Romans 9 6, all that are Israel are not of Israel. You, you remember that? That means all that are genetically related to Abraham are not necessarily true Jews. Not talking about, it's just talking about Jews. And so there is, there's that. I, I think back to John 8, 33. You remember when the Pharisees argued with Jesus and he was really coming down on them because they thought their connection to Abraham gave them a right to, uh, to the new birth and going into God's presence and so forth. They thought they were, they were good. They were establishing their righteousness because of their DNA. And you look in John 8, 33. No, 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 no. That's the natural seed. But the spiritual seed would be those who put their trust, put their faith, those Jews who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And so the more particular promises of the Abrahamic covenant will not be fulfilled by all the natural seed. No, just because you're a Jew. But by those in the natural seed who also qualify as the spiritual seed. That's important. All right, next. The seed of Abraham. There's a third use of it. This is the spiritual seed of Abraham as explained in Galatians 3, 6-9. All right, we have a man sitting here on the second row who's going to be taking you in through Galatians, going to come to this one. Ah, and this is where some folks really, the wheels come off hermeneutically on this one. The spiritual seed. You are the spiritual seed if you put trust in Christ as a Gentile. That doesn't make you a Jew. You are not the new Israel. Well, you say, well, give me a lot of proof of that. I could if we had the time. And you might not want to even stay. You may want to drift on over to the break time while I'm still talking. But I can tell you, it's a very, it's, it, there is much to that and argumentation that goes with it. So Abraham, here's where we go. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what is that? We've believed, and Paul quotes that to the Galatians who were trying to throw the gospel overboard because these Judaizers were amongst them who were saying, well, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the law of Moses. Oh, that's got to do that. Paul says, not on your life. Oh, you can smell the gun smoke in the Galatians. Paul have none of it. None of it. It is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else. You don't change in order to get saved. You get saved in order to change. And that's what he goes so through in Galatians. And the Galatian passage is, uh, it becomes quite a debate and I'm flying by it. <laughs> and and I'm even thinking here, well, here, I looked at this thing for hours this week and I just said all I could say and I've got to move on. All right, forgive me. Here we go. There's more. Listen to this. Here's what he says in Galatians 3.29. Know then that it is, of those, that it, is, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Get that? Those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And... The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I am not, you are not genetically connected to Abraham. Oh, you may be if you're Jew. Now, I looked up once my DNA. I have 1% Jewish blood, according to that. I don't, I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> but this... When he says this with regard to a Gentile in the present age is Abraham's seed because you know why? You know why? 
punchline, punchline, you're in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28. It's on this basis that Galatians 3.29 say, it states, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. But it doesn't turn me into a Jew. I'm a saved Gentile, blessed by Abraham. Because you know what? It says, are the sons of Abraham. Let me just pause and say something about that language there. Know this, you who are the sons of Abraham. That doesn't mean that you are, you are a Jew. It means that it's, it's, a, it's an idiomatic expression used in a figurative sense. You're spiritual children. Here, I'll give you this illustration. Be quick with it. Uh, I'm reading, I will get through it, uh, I hope. I'm reading the, the biography of, of John Adams, the, the, one of the founding fathers. I am really impressed. All that he sacrificed, his courage, his brain, his commitment. Uh, talk about a true patriot. He's kind of my hero of the fathers, the, the founding fathers. And he was a patriot. It had much to do with putting together those original documents and much is made of Jefferson and he, he was the great writer. But oh, I tell you, John Adams, he went into some dangerous situations. Just those crossings of the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, one, two, three times? You read one of those, he'd say, oh, he made it. <laughs> I'm just, I, okay, I've wandered off. But here we have, if I said, you know, you, you who have courage and patriotism flowing in your veins, you are the sons of John Adam. Well, how would you take that? You would be John Adam-like. It doesn't mean that, well, I've got to check this out. Do I, do my ancestors come out of New England? You know, you know, you know. Am, I, am I connected with the Adams family? Not the other one. But uh, <laughs> am I connected? No. So here, this is important to see in this language. And when you follow the literal, historical, grammatical means of interpreting Scripture, I think this, that really, this satisfies that. Because you don't play switcheroo. You don't suddenly say, well, okay. I'm off my point here. I've got to be careful to run out of time. But I've got to say this, that as we are those who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, that we are that seed of Abraham in that sense. That does not evaporate the promises, the land promises given to Abraham and to the spiritual slash uh, natural seed who are born again Jews. And then we will even experience some of the blessings of the kingdom ourselves as converted Gentiles because we were the olive branches, the wild olive branches who were grafted into the tree of blessing. And oh, just read that Romans 9, and especially 11, 10 and 11. We're not Israel. We were grafted in as wild olive branches. Have you thanked God that, Lord, thank you, though, a wild olive branch, you grafted me, I'm saved. I'm not a Jew, I'm yours. Thank you for Abraham, and thank you for what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. So there it is. Now, I say this, I have to say this in closing. I conclude. Well then, what do we say? I have two, two directions I wanna go. What do we say as to what's happening in the land today of Israel? I intend to address this with more specificity next week because it's a question that has to be answered. I can give you this much. I believe that scripture, and I'll show you from Isaiah and other places, that Israel, there are two gatherings that are promised to Israel. One, a gathering of unbelief. Israel will be in unbelief when the Daniel 70th week 
the great tribulation begins. There will have been a move toward Israel, the land, in mass. Uh, I can tell you some things that have made some of us, those who are really focused sharply on the unfolding of Daniel 9, what it teaches, 9, 24 to 27. This is next week's sermon, watch out. Uh, that there will come one who will rise up. This is why these current events now are so, I've never seen anything quite. I went through the 70s. I knew the coming war with Russia and the late great planet Earth. And, but this is really, really interesting, at least a forecast. Here, here's how. That someone will come up and have the solution that will guarantee Israel security. And Israel will say, ah, oh, this is our man. And the world will look like they'll coalesce, and many will coalesce around this, because he's going to be strong, eloquent, have great insight, and will impress people, and give them a sense of security. We'll say, finally, we've got an adult in the room, somebody who can show us the way through all this. And Israel and all will come, and there will be a sense of security. And then in the middle of the week, all hell breaks loose. He goes back and turns. It's the Antichrist in disguise. And he turns on Israel. And he, I'll finish that story next week. That's what's coming up in Daniel. That comes up in, in, the, in the Great Tribulation. But so Israel gathers in unbelief. Unbelief. But then there will be a gathering in belief. That's where most, the prophets are most of their time there. Some misuse those passages and say, oh, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, be careful here. No, in belief. That's a different uh, episode. You're taking passages and you're misapplying them. All right, that said, move on. I'll say this in conclusion. Would you like to rejoice that you're the seed of Abraham as a Gentile? To those who are, to those who are here, spiritual Israel, that is, you're born-again Jews. If any are here, all right, you're included in this. But in the seed of Abraham, he says, and this is, this is the, the hitting the nail on the head with regard to Abraham and why we can rejoice in this Abrahamic covenant and what it does for us in Christ. He said, Abraham, he believed God and he counted it to him for righteousness. You know what that's like? You know what that's like? I want to be clear. I want to be clear. I want to be clear. I got a bill this week. I get one every month. Now, I'm not going to tell you about my financial life, but we found it convenient to do a lot of our expenses and put them on our credit card. It's just easier. As long as you don't, somebody else doesn't get your credit card number. And so I get this monthly credit card. I look at them, whoa, 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 whoa. And you know what? It's all a debit. <laughs> I got to write a check. Do you know what? You and I, we have a bill and we were in deep, 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 deep debt. We did not have the righteousness that God requires to get into his presence. No. You can join a church. You can take communion. You can play like you're holy on the surface. You can do this. You can have, you can have, uh, uh, you can do good deeds. You can give to goodwill. You can... You could, eat, well, you could pray for the persecuted church. I mean, you could do a lot of things. Those things don't move you one centimeter. And that is too much toward being accepted by God. It's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which I have none in myself, that God, he says he believed God and he got counted it to him for righteousness. So you know what? 
a credit card thing? What if somebody says, hey, got you covered. It's all gone. The debt's paid. I'm not taking up an offering. <laughs> this is my responsibility here. But that's the way this righteousness accounting does. And I know on the surface it sounds, makes it kind of, kind of cold because we want to, I know the way the gospel is presented today. It says, would you just ask Jesus in the heart? Commit your life to Jesus. That's not the gospel. It's certainly not the gospel invitation. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. And be clear, be clear, be clear. That's what it takes, thank God, that he's given us that righteousness is in Christ. And in that miraculous moment, when we look to him in faith, empty hand of the heart, reaching out, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve anything but eternal hell. Thank you. And Lord, I don't have anything that earns my way into your presence. But thank you that that, which, that credit that Jesus Christ had in his righteousness is put on my account. And I'm yours. And thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, thank you for what you've promised and given to us in Christ. We rejoice now, Lord, in this table that's before us. This table that whereby we remember the blood that was shed and the body that was broken for us. Thank you, Lord. If there's one here this morning who has never put his or her trust in Christ, oh, God, may they do that. Even now, Lord, look up to you to receive the gift of eternal life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.